But, uh, you know, hey, I wanted to say this. I really love your pastor. Uh, I never thought I'd be a pastor, and uh, I've been one for the last uh, four and a half years at Faith Community down in, in House Springs. And uh, Daniel and I met, and he said, hey, I'm really looking for a relationship. How about we get together on a consistent basis? And so we decided to have breakfast slash coffee uh, every Friday morning. We've been doing that for, I would say, at least two and a half years. I didn't know how much I needed it. I didn't know that sometimes uh, being a pastor, you might find yourself a bit lonely and just want someone to talk to who can relate and uh, we form such a great friendship and we probably spend two to three hours every Friday together I won't tell you where because you might show up and wreck the party but uh, I tell you what I've really grown to love him he, you know Daniel the thing about him is he's super smart number one number two he loves the word and he loves this church and uh, he's one of the most committed people I've ever met he's become not just a friend but like a brother and you guys are really blessed to have him as your pastor and uh, I'm blessed to be here today and so uh, that's the script he gave me to read about him before the message not really that's from my heart but hey he asked me to come and to kick off this series called relational vampires and we're gonna spend the next four weeks talking about people who suck the life out of you you got any of those people in your life Maybe you are that person. The person next to you will tell you, you suck the life out of me, but I love you. And what we're going to talk about today, <laughs> we're going to talk about controlling people. How many of you know somebody who's controlling? You know, maybe, you know, first service had way more hands up than the 9 o'clock. Maybe if you, how many of you are that person? You go, just turn to the person next to you, they'll tell you. But controlling people. Now, we can think of controlling people in, in, in one of two ways. First one is there's people outside of us that control us, and that's kind of where we want to lie. But we're also going to talk about this morning how we may be controlling. Not just controlling other people, but ultimately we are control freaks when it comes to our own life. So we're going to talk about the beginning of the message, more about how to recognize people who are controlling us, how to deal with that, but then also how we too want a sense and have a sense of control. I think it's important to talk about why control exists and why people control. I would venture to say, now I'm not a social scientist or a psychologist or anything, but the majority of people who would be labeled controlling aren't malicious. They're not just malicious and, hey, I want to control because I'm a controlling person and this is what I want to do to you. But most people are doing it unconsciously because it's rooted in fear and insecurity. Here's one thing about fear. Fear always leads to control. Fear will always grasp to control what it can't control because it doesn't realize that control is really just an illusion, isn't it? You're never really in control. There are very few things in life that you can control. There are a lot of things in life you have no control over. Fear never realizes that, so it reaches to control everything in its path. But here's the thing. Fear will always lead you to do what you fear the most. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Fear and insecurity are really kind of the bedrock of control. People control out of fear and insecurity. And they do so by using two weapons. Here's two big weapons that people use to control. Threats and guilt. Threats, like, hey... If you do this, then it's going to happen. If you don't do this, then this is probably what's going to happen. I didn't realize how controlling people were until I became a pastor, literally, right? Because you, you make decisions that you think are in the best interest of the whole, and sometimes what's best for the group isn't best for particular individuals, or those individuals don't want to be part of the group, and so you get some threats. Now, I'm not saying that I've never been one of those people because I have, but I really started to encounter, hey, if you do this, I'm going to leave. If you do this, the church is going to fail. If you do this, I may not give. If you don't do this, I was like, holy cow. There's some, there's some controlling going on. 
threats and guilt. Guilt is, you know, you remember what I did for you. You remember how I was there for you. You remember when I paid that bill. You remember when everyone else, and they got guilt. What control does is it gets you in your all emotionally, and it pulls you out of the realm of being able to think logically, being able to think a bit more objectively, and it gets you all emotionally riled up, and you're dealing with threats, and you're dealing with guilt, and you're dealing with the emotion of it and people, and it's just difficult. And then I think the question really becomes is, how do we do this? How do we deal with people who are controlling, and most importantly, how do we really love them? And what I think is so neat about Scripture is, is that there's so many layers to Scripture, and we can look at a, a particular passage or a story and see one thing out of it, but we can also see it from another side. It's kind of like a diamond. You can see it from different sides and see different things. And in Matthew 16, I think, is one of those diamonds, verses 21 through 24, as it relates to control. Now, what we find here in this passage is Peter attempting to control Jesus, not intentionally, not maliciously, but he's trying to control out of fear and insecurity. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's telling them he's getting ready to go to the cross, and this is when Peter stands up, and this is the conversation they have. He says, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, that this will never happen to you. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. Or some translations say, get behind me, Satan. Better translations say, get behind me. You are dangerous. You're a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. And then Jesus turned to all of his disciples and said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way and take up your cross and follow me. Now here's what's interesting about this is, kind of the question is, why is Peter attempting to do this? We know that Peter is not malicious because moments or, or a period of time before this, Jesus asked the disciples a question and he says, Who do people say, who do you say that I am? And the disciples are like, well, they say you're this prophet and they say you're this guy. And then Jesus says, No, 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 I don't want to know what they say. I want to know what you say. Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the Lord. He says that you are God. It's, it's the first time that someone mentions and has the revelation that Jesus is not just a man. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a prophet, that he is God. And Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Some people say it's upon Peter he'll build it. I believe the rock is the confession or the revelation that Peter had and not Peter himself. Peter could only say that he was God by an impartation of the Holy Spirit. So on one hand, Peter's saying, you are God on earth. And in the next moment, he's saying, no, Jesus, you can't do what you're called to do. Because we hear this story and we're like, of course, Jesus has to go to the cross. He has to die. But for the disciples, it wasn't commonplace for someone to say, hey, yeah, I'm going to die. And then three days later, I'm going to raise from the dead. It wasn't like dead people were getting up every three days, walking around saying, hey, it was a nice trip, but I wanted to be here. All right. Peter loved Jesus. Peter cared about Jesus. The last thing he wanted Jesus to do was die and suffer. That's why he pulls him aside and says, this can never happen to you. He's controlling Jesus out of fear 
and out of insecurity, and he doesn't realize it's control. I think from this, though, Jesus gives us a pretty interesting paradigm for how to deal with controlling people in our lives. And there's three things I want to share with you today. The first thing is this. If we're going to deal with people who are controlling, is we have to know what we're called to do. Jesus knew his purpose. Jesus knew his calling. Jesus knew why he was here, and it was bigger, and it was beyond him. Our purpose and our calling has to be bigger and beyond us. It can't just be us. It can't just be our emotions. It can't just be trying to get our life together. It has to be bigger and beyond us. So I think the first thing we have to do is understand what we're called to do. Generally and broadly as Christians, as Christ followers, we know we have a calling to tell people about Jesus, right? To be a disciple maker. To, and, and however that lends itself in our personal lives will be different, right? Like some of you are teachers, some of you are doctors, some of you are lawyers, some of you are construction people. You have a calling a broad calling to introduce people to Jesus by your words and by your actions, but how you do that is specific to your location and your gift set, all right? So, hey, my calling, I got to reveal Jesus, but I got to understand specifically what that looks like. Now, I'm not saying you got to be a pastor. I'm not saying you have to preach. I'm just saying think of it in this way. It's loving the people that you're around, loving the people that you're closest to, I felt like for this year, for my marriage, I'll be married 12 years in July, that the thing I'm praying for, the Lord laid on my heart, it may sound super spiritual, but say, love your wife like Christ loves the church. Well, okay, you can clap. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, you know, that sounds good, Lord, but what does that look like? And I felt like he took me to 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It keeps no record of wrong. It always hopes. It always perseveres. And I'm like, oh, you don't want to give me more love for my wife emotionally. You want me to love her in action. Well, that's pretty tough. And the biggest one for me is it keeps no record of wrong. I'm really good at that. I'm like a prosecuting attorney. You know? I've got a list that you did last week and the month before that resurfaces every time we get into a discussion or an argument. No, no, Josh, I don't want you to keep a record of wrong. That's the thing specifically for me. I'm also learning that as a pastor that my primary calling is not my church. It's my wife first and my son second and my church third. How can I know what I'm called to do and and deal with controlling people? Hey, I'm going to put my wife first, my son second, and the church third, so that when people from the church who are good, who have good intent, who aren't trying to destroy my family, say, we need to do this, and we need to do this, and we need to do this, I can say, no, I can't do those things because I got my wife and I got my son, and I'm sorry, but they're more important to me than you are. And I can't let your need control me, and I can't let the needs of all these people control me. And even if this church suffers, my family's not. Because in my family, there have been pastors who sacrificed themselves and their family on the altar for the church. And my grandfather, was my grandfather, great man, but he died at 74 because he didn't take care of himself. He did love his family, but the church was numero uno. Not intentionally. But when you know what you're called to do, you can say, hey, I'm going to love those around me. I love my family. If you're not married, if you don't have kids, love your friends. Love, your, love your, your family, your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, and serve them. Serve the people around you. Maybe your specific calling is just in the job that you have, you're just supposed to love and serve those people. 
Maybe your primary reason there is not to make money. It's just to love and serve and witness to those people who are there. I know you don't like your job. Your boss is a jerk. It's boring. You're praying for God to get you out of there. And he, seemingly he won't. But maybe he's called you to a people and not to a place. And maybe, just maybe, he'll get you to another place. But you got to learn what's here. If you can't love these people and you can't deal with the issues that you have in your job, they're probably going to resurface at another job that pays you more and it's everything you thought you would want. But six months down the road, you're like, God, get me out of here. God cares more about a people than he does a place. Maybe your specific calling is to further your education. God wants you to learn some things. He wants you to study. God's a fan of education. He wants you to dial in on those gifts and those talents and so that he can produce more for you so it can fulfill your purpose of being bigger and beyond you. Think about those things. You say, how in the world does this help me to know my calling? How in the world does this help me, I should say, to deal with controlling people? Because it provides focus and clarity for you. Focus and clarity. This is why I'm here. This is what I'm doing. This is the, the point in the future that I'm going towards, and I'm not going to deviate from it. You say, well, how does that help me? Because when you know that, it adds value to your yes by empowering you to say no. Our yeses have become so diluted because we say yes to everything, right? You want to go here? Yes. You want to serve? Yes. You want to give? Yes. You want to come to my house? Yes. We're saying yes, 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 yes. And then we're stressed. We're saying yes to things we don't want to do. Yes to people we don't want to be with. Yes to things we maybe don't agree with. And yes to things we can't afford. Why? Because we're people pleasers. How do you know that? Because I'm a big one. A huge one. I love to please people. In fact, my personality profile tells me I value relational harmony. I like when everybody gets along. I don't like to offend. I don't like to upset. I will burden myself so I don't have to tell you no. Thankfully, I have a wife that doesn't care about saying no. And she's like, Josh, we're, we're not doing this. You can do it. I'm staying home. Well, Lauren, you can't stay home. What are people going to think? I don't care what they think. I need to rest. I would encourage you to say no more than you say yes. Add value to your yes. And I, and I don't know if I'm the right person to do this, but I just want to give you permission to say no. Say no. Well, it's going to be weird. Yeah. What if someone doesn't like me? It's okay. Because people pleasing is really just a form of idolatry. What do you mean? Well, because you value people's opinions of you more than you value God's. It's idolatry. And I didn't realize becoming a pastor would make that idol huge for me. I don't want you to be mad at me. But you're going to be mad at me. So I'm just decided there's a group of people that are probably always going to be mad at me, and I'm okay with it. Because it's attention to be managed, not attention to resolve. And if you can learn to live in the tension of not everyone's going to like you, you can't help everyone, you can't serve everyone, you can't love everyone the way you want to, and you can't make them happy, all right, I accept a group, a percentage is going to be mad. I'm just going to live in that tension. Not every tension is meant to be resolved. In fact, if you look throughout the Gospels, Jesus introduces a lot of tension. And he says, live in it. Live in the tension. Tension's a very important thing. Without tension, this building couldn't stand. Right, there's tension that provides structure to this building. So accept the tension. 
and say no. Here's what I want you to do this week. Practical thing. I want you to say no. I want you to think right now of something that you're contemplating saying yes to and run it through a grid of, does it fit my purpose? Does it fit my calling? Does it take time away from my family? Does it, does it affect me uh, physically and emotionally in a negative way? Maybe you need to call and cancel on something that's appropriate to do, okay? I'm not saying if you made a commitment and there's a big amount of people, you know, depending on you and there's money on it and stuff. No, no, just maybe there's some things you said yes to that you could just call and say no to. But won't that be uncomfortable? More than likely. But I found on the other side of discomfort is freedom, right? Like there's like no easy way to freedom. There's like no easy way to success. It's just a process, right? Don't you wish God would just make it happen? God, can you, Holy Spirit, can you please tell that person I don't want to go? Right, like, Holy Spirit, by your power, you know, you're praying all this, and the Holy Spirit's like, give them a call. (laughs) You know, tell them no, I'm not going to do that for you. Because the Holy Spirit does what we cannot do. Right? Some of us are praying prayers, or God's like, you have the power to do that. Like, ask me something to do you can't do. Like, I can change someone's heart, but you can tell them no. Right? Know what you're called to do. Discover your purpose, and it doesn't have to be huge. It could just be like, I gotta love my family better. I gotta love my mom and my dad and my friends. I, I need to focus on this aspect of, of this gift and talent that God has given me, and I'm just gonna say no. And it's gonna add value to my yes when you know what you're called to do. Second thing is this is know and how to recognize when you're being controlled. Learn to recognize that. Jesus recognized it immediately with Peter. Listen to this. He says, I'm in the wrong spot. Here we go. He says this, turn to Peter and said, get away from me or get behind me, Satan. You are dangerous, trapped to me. You see things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. Listen to this. Every controlling person has someone in their life who allows it. If you have a controlling person in your life, you are allowing it. Well, aren't they making the decision to control? Yes, but you're making the decision to allow it. Now, that doesn't get a lot of amens, right? Because that forces us to say, well, maybe, yeah, I'm kind of allowing it. Jesus saw it immediately, and he responds with some strong words to Peter. How could he do that? Jesus knew his purpose, bigger and beyond him. He knew why God had put him here to this earth. The question that we've kind of already answered, though, is why would Peter try to do this? And really, because he just loves Jesus. I give Peter an A for effort and an A for intent. He's doing this because he doesn't want to see this man whom he loves, his friend, die. I would do the same thing, and hopefully so would you. Can't be too holy and say, no, I'd let Jesus just go to the cross, right? No, you would try to stop him. We try to stop him. But what Peter couldn't realize is that because of his insecurity and because of his fear, he was attempting to stop Jesus from the purpose of what he came to do, which all eternity depended upon. Right? Jesus had the weight of eternity on him. We don't. I'm not asking you to be Jesus. But Jesus could have said, you know, Peter, I love you. And because I don't want to make you uncomfortable, I'm not going to go to the cross. I'm not going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to hang out with you guys, and that'll be it. That's what Jesus could have done, simply not to offend Peter, simply not to address 
the issue of control that was happening there. That's what Jesus could have done, but he didn't. Some of us don't think that we can address bad behavior in relationships because we think it's going to cause strife and it's not what Jesus would do. Jesus disrupted a lot of relational harmony while he was here. Not because he was a jerk and not because he wanted to create chaos, but because he wanted to bring true peace. When you allow bad behavior and you allow people to devalue you by treating you a certain way, that is not God honoring and that's a false sense of peace. It's false. It's false. You say, well, well, then how do we really learn to recognize when someone is controlling us and, and, and deal with it? Listen to this. Here's what Peter did. There's this great statement in here. It says, but Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him. Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him. Controlling people will isolate you. They treat you different in private than they do in public. They isolate you. They, they pull you aside and they say the things that are hurtful and the things that are controlling. They don't do it in public because in public, everyone would say, what? You let him or her talk to you that way? They know better. They may be bullies, but they're cowards. Isn't that what the enemy does too? He isolates us. Like for me on Mondays, I'm just exhausted from Sundays. I don't go to work. I take off. But that's the day where like, I want to quit. I think the message was horrible. Nobody likes me. Like I'm going to get a new job. The enemy's like, yeah, you're horrible. You stink. And I'm like, I got to make it to Tuesday because Tuesday I'm ready to go. It's never on like, you know, Wednesday where I'm preparing for the message and feeling good. Like we're going to knock this out of the park. It's Monday. That's when I'm the most vulnerable. That's how controlling people act too. Pull you aside. They use threats. They use guilt. They use manipulation. If you don't, if you do, remember when, get all emotional, but they isolate you. Let's just take a moment and think about maybe times you've been isolated or maybe you've isolated yourself or you've isolated somebody and used control. Maybe intentionally, maybe unintentionally, but it happens in isolation. And that's the thing I think we have to really understand here. Peter took him aside. And again, I don't think he was malicious. I think some people are. I don't think Peter was. But it's just waking up and recognizing it. And you need to know your purpose because it provides that focus and that clarity that can say, whoa, wait a minute. I don't really understand what's going on here, but I don't like it anymore. Right? Like I want to I wanna stop this, this, this kind of behavior because it's impeding me from moving forward, from raising this family, from loving my wife, from, from, you know, doing well in my finances, from doing well in generosity, from whatever the case may be, this is stopping me from doing that. And that is way important than this momentary thing that's going on. Learn to recognize it. The Holy Spirit will help you. So know your calling, learn to recognize when you're being controlled. And here's number three, it's knowing to draw a line in the sand. Right? Know when to draw a line in the sand. And, and, and Jesus did this when he looked at Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me. And he told Peter, look, you don't understand God's purpose, God's overall plan, because you're looking merely from a human perspective. You can't see it, Peter. You need, and I love this, he said, Peter, get behind me. This translation says, get away from me, but it's better to say, get behind me. Peter, I want you to follow me. 
Right now, you're being like Satan. He wasn't saying that Peter is, you know, the physical presence of Satan on the earth. He's saying, in this moment, Peter, you're trying to stop me from doing the thing that is going to provide eternal salvation for the world, and you are like Satan because you're trying to keep me from that purpose, even though you don't realize it. Peter, get behind me. Let me lead, and you follow. Peter, let me lead. You follow. Jesus drew in the line in the sand for Peter. Either, Peter, you're going to get behind me, or you're going to depart from me because I'm going that way. That's where I'm going. There's some things about controlling people in our lives that if we allow control, then they're directing us and God is not. They're directing us, they're leading us to our emotions and, and we're spending so much time to try to keep them happy, to try to not make them mad, to try to please them, that we're not pleasing God, we're not following God's purpose and plan for our life, we're frustrated, we have a false sense of peace. That's when we have to be able to say, look, here's... Here it is, it's bigger, it's beyond me, and I'm going to draw on the line in the sand because this is what Jesus said, no more, it stops right here. Peter, I love you, and I love you enough to say, shut up, stop. I want to make this point, though. If you're in here today, and you are in a relationship that may be abusive, and there may be some controlling, and this happens more to women, unfortunately, than it does to men. It's cases of domestic violence. I want you to hear me. I'm not asking you to be a hero and stand up to somebody where it may result in something bad for you and your kids, but I am. I'm get, want to give you the permission and freedom to say, hey, it's not healthy for you to be in that situation, and drawing a line in the sand is getting out is getting out. I happen to sit on a board, and this isn't a plug, of a safe place, which is a, a shelter for women and children who are victims of domestic violence. The average woman has to leave seven times before she gets her family out. That's drawing a line in the sand. And the reason I say it is because some people in church have said, oh, you need to stay. That's the godly thing to do. You know, I, I don't agree with that at all. I'm willing to stand before the Lord and say, hey, this is what I felt, and I'm willing to be wrong, but you need to get out. That's drawing a line in the sand. And you say, why is that? Because, because you are valuable. Now, this applies to everybody. You have inherent value. You have, an in, you have intrinsic worth. We sang this song today. I am a child of God. That's who you say I am. And you begin to recognize that your value and your worth don't come from someone or something or some job. You have every right to stand up and say, you will not speak to me that way. And you will not control me in that way because I have value and worth. And you don't determine that. That's godly. That is, that is so godly because you have to have that worth and value, not finding it in yourself, but finding it in him and be willing to fight and protect that. Because listen, if you've got kids, whether you're a man or a woman in here, what are you teaching them by either being a controller or being one who is controlled? You're letting them know this is okay. And it's a vicious cycle. It's a vicious cycle. Here's the thing. The relationships that we have are a combination of what we've created and what we've allowed. The relationships we all have, it's a combination of what we've created and what we've allowed. I don't think relational problems are, are not always are they 100% one person's fault. Maybe in the minute cases, there's always some level of, of fault. We have, a, have to own some percentage of what's going on. Maybe we didn't cause it, but if we allow it, we are perpetuating it. The combination of what you created and what you've allowed. What are you allowing? Because what you allow will continue to grow. It's giving life to it. It's pouring water on it. It's letting the sunlight hit it. It'll grow. Have to own that. 
Think for a moment. What am I allowing? What am I allowing to come out of my mouth? And what am I allowing to come in my ears or my eyes and hit my heart that's affecting me? And if you say, you know what, I don't like this. I don't want to be talked to like this. I don't want to be controlled. Then if you, you have to change it, and you can look at two things, what your expectations and what you're accepting. What do you expect? How do you expect to be treated? Do you see yourself as a child of God with inherent value and worth that's not tied to what you've done or what you've said or anybody and say, I deserve to be treated better? You have to know your expectations because if you don't have any expectations, anything will fly. And then change what you accept. You can't determine what you're going to accept until you determine what you're going to expect. What are your expectations? How do you expect to be treated? And what are you accepting and what are you, it goes back to that. What are you allowing to happen to you? Words are powerful. And the thing about this is what we want to do is we want to change the external realities. We want to change the person who is maybe controlling. God changed them. God can. I believe that he can. But in the meantime, we've got some internal work to do. God changes us and transforms us internally from the inside out. He prospers us from the inside out, not the outside in. Let God to begin to change your heart, your mindset, your perspective, how you see yourself, and externally, you'll begin to change your expectations, change what you accept, change what you allow, as you allow God to work on the inside of you. The, the reality is, is that person may never change. I don't believe that God violates our will. That person may never change. So what if they never change? What are you going to do? How are you going to change? How are you going to allow God to change you? And I just, I just can't get away from that picture of Jesus saying, Peter, get behind me. God never calls us to be Christian leaders. He calls us to be Christ followers. Because I said, we can leave it in the realm of, you know, that other person is controlling. But we have to bring it back to the reality of, I'm a controlling person. And here's where I think we're the most controlling. We're all control freaks when it comes to our own life, right? Some more than others. I'm a control freak. I want this to happen, and I want that to happen, and I don't trust you to tell me what's best for me. And I sometimes, I'll be honest, I don't trust him. How many of your prayers have been, God, I think you should do this, and God, you should do that. Yeah, I don't really agree with what you did over here. This is what I need. Ultimately, this is what I need. We're controllers. Why? Because we have fear, we have insecurity, and more than that, we want to be successful. We want good things to happen. And when you get married, when you have kids, you become more of a control freak because everything depends on you, right? You have these kids who, who you know you have to provide and, and then you have to let them go to school and you don't see them all day and it just stretches you and stretches you and stretches you and it's difficult. You have a job and you have a, some semblance of control, but we, we, we want control because control we think equals protection, control equals safety, but really it doesn't. It doesn't. And I think it's difficult to look at, to look at God and say he's so far away, he's the, he's the creator of the universe, he's eternal, he's all these big things, and we say he, he, we, he wants us to give up control to him. It's hard to trust someone you can't see, isn't it? It's hard to trust someone that, that you can't always audibly hear. It's hard to trust someone whose main point of contact is a, is a book of, of scripture. 
It's difficult, I understand, but, but here's the thing. I don't think God really wants control as much as he wants to lead. That's why he said, Jesus said, come, follow me. You ever wonder why this group of ragtag bunch of men just decided to follow Jesus? He said, come follow me. I'm going to give you a future. I'm going to lead you somewhere. You can trust me. And they followed him, and, and there was contention, right? There was Peter trying to lead Jesus. Jesus saying, no, Peter, get behind me. God is a, he's a good, good father. He wants to lead. I don't believe he wants to control. If you see God as a controller, you'll never want to give, him, give your life to him. If you see him as a father and someone who wants to lead you and someone who has the best interest for you, then it becomes a bit easier. I think what we do so many times is this. We say, God, you can have this part of my life, you can have this part of my life, and you can have this part of my life, but don't touch this and don't touch this. And we, we treat God like he's some supermarket. I'll take this piece, I'll take that piece, and that's on sale. Give me that. Right? When God says, I want all of you. Now, he's gracious enough to reveal himself in pieces, and he'll work with what you give him, but he wants everything. And we tend to hold on to the pieces of us that are the most vulnerable and have been the most hurt. That's what we hold on tightly to, and that's where God does his deepest work. It's like an iceberg. We give God 10%, but 90% of an iceberg is beneath the water, and that's where the issues lie. My encouragement to you this morning is don't just recognize who's trying to control you. Deal with that. But more importantly, recognize the areas in your life that you're not giving up control to him. And it may be, just maybe, that he's looking at you saying, get behind me. Can you lead and not follow? Excuse me, that's supposed to be the other way around. Can you allow him to lead and you follow? There's this great old hymn, right? I have decided to follow Jesus. Though none go with me, still I will follow. The world behind me, the cross before me. You ever, you ever heard how that song was written? Story goes that it was written by a, a, a man in India who had become a believer, and the tribe that he was a part of was adamantly opposed to Christianity. Adamantly opposed. And what they said to him was this. They said, if you will renounce Christ, you can live. If you will not renounce him, we'll kill you and we'll kill your family. Story is, is that he decided obviously not to renounce Christ and he, he's standing there and he has his family around him and he begins to kind of sing this song prophetically. I have decided to follow Jesus. Though none go with me, still I will follow. And they killed his family and they killed him. The cross before me, the world behind me. Amazing. I'm not asking you to, to do that but I'm asking you to consider what it means to really follow and give up control. Because here's one thing I can guarantee you. You give up control to him, what he has on the other side, oh, it's way better. He's got an adventure for you. He's got a purpose for you. He's not boring at all. And he's a way better leader for your life than you are. He's a way better leader than Visa or MasterCard or anything else you're trying to find purpose and meaning in. Give it to him. And I can guarantee you he's going to treat it with care and tenderness. He's not going to be foolish. He's not going to drop it. He's not going to break you. He's going to put you back together. But you have to give up control. So yes, hey, know your purpose. 
Know when you're trying to, someone's trying to control you. Know when to draw a line in the sand, but don't just leave it out there. Bring it inside and begin to deal with that. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity to be here this morning. God, I thank you that, that you're so good and you're so faithful. I thank you that your word truly is like a diamond and then we can turn it and look at it and see so many different things. I pray first and foremost for everyone in here that they would begin to discover their purpose by knowing you. God, begin to reveal to them what it is they can begin to do tomorrow. Show them who they are supposed to love. Show them in the midst of that job that seemingly is going nowhere, how they're there to serve a people and not just be in a particular place. Help us to recognize those people in our lives, Lord, that are, that are trying to control us, maybe consciously or unconsciously. And Lord, I pray that you would instill within us the value and the worth that we have as being a son and daughter before you. Holy Spirit, help us see Jesus in the midst of those areas. Third thing, God, I just pray this. The areas that we're withholding from you out of fear and out of insecurity, may we, by your grace and your tenderness, give them over to you because the only thing we're going to accomplish by squeezing them is we're going to kill them. We're never going to open them up to you. We're not going to see the healing. We're not going to see the provision. Help us to trust you. Help us to trust you as we make that declaration. I have decided to follow you, to follow you and put the world behind us. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Guys, can we give Pastor Josh a round of applause? That was awesome. Yeah, I want to take a moment um, in this time and service and really just speak to those of you who maybe wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, or maybe you've been in a, a time and place or season in your life where you've stepped away from being a follower of Jesus. And everyone kind of staying in that atmosphere of prayer, maybe Maybe bow your heads and close your eyes, no one looking around. But I wonder if that's something that you can relate to. You know, maybe you don't have a sense of purpose and meaning in your life, and you've tried to fill it with, with work, a career. You've tried to fill it with partying, whatever the case may be. Um, or maybe it was you had that at one point in your life and just chose to step away from it. But something today just really resonated with you where you want to put Jesus first in your life. You want to become a Christ follower. The Bible tells us it's really simple. It's really simple to accept Jesus. All it says to do is that we have to believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and then we would be saved. And so on the count of three, if you are at a place where you want to receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask you to just put your hand in the air so no one's going to be looking around. But it'll take a a step on your part to just put your hand in the air. So on the count of three, one, two, three, put those hands in the air. Yeah, I see your hands. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Good job. Okay, you can put your hands down. And we're all going to pray this prayer together. No one prays alone. Um, so just repeat after me. Jesus, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. Give me purpose and give me meaning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, can we celebrate those decisions that were made for Jesus?